I want to begin this morning just uh, by reminding you again that uh, this information is something that uh, didn't come from the speakers at Exponential. Um, it really just came as my heart was really probing some of the things that God might want to share with our church. And uh, I kind of got to looking around online. I always feel like Campus Crusade for Christ is an old friend to me, you know? Um, Campus Crusade for Christ was founded by a man named Bill Bright, and I had the privilege of shaking his hands. It was probably one of the top three handshakes in my entire life, uh, just to shake hands with Bill Bright. Because when I was uh, 15, 13 years old, 17 years old, going to a little tiny Alliance church that uh, uh, happened to be in Clarion, Pennsylvania, I can remember my youth leaders were students at Clarion University. It was called Clarion State College then. And they went to this thing called Campus Crusade for Christ. And that met, I think, maybe on Sunday nights or something. And so by the time Wednesday evening came around, what I got was warmed over Campus Crusade for Christ discipleship. And it was so instrumental in my life. It was powerful in my life. And I'm so thankful for it. And so while I'm looking around there, I'm online and uh, kind of just praying, God, uh, help me write. And i got to be honest with you, my prayer wasn't like, God, what do you want me to say to Kermansville Alliance? It was a little more like, God, I hardly have any time to write this sermon, so you're going to have to help me out, because I was at the conference. But as I was poking around, I came upon a Campus Crusade for Christ website, and they had five keys to spiritual growth listed there. And I thought, oh, wow, (laughs) this is so applicable to all of us. Before we talk about those keys, though, I want to begin by asking you a question. And here's the question. Do you think of yourself as a disciple? Okay, I didn't ask this. I didn't say, do you think of yourself as a Christian? Because the word Christian has really become socialized in our society today. And, you know, sure, we're Christians. We live in rural Pennsylvania. Isn't everybody a Christian here, you know? It's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, do you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus? That is, a follower of Jesus. One of the strengths of the attractional model of church growth is that it opens the door for people who have not yet explored Christianity. It attracts people to an event that's happening on Sunday mornings in in churches like ours all over America, all over the world, in fact, by helping to engage them in good music. And wow, did we have good music this morning or what? Amen? Amen. Wow, it's just so good. And, And I've had this cold all week long. I couldn't sing. I didn't even know if I was going to be able to speak. I could not not sing this morning. The music was so good. The tractional model just says, here's good music, maybe that will attract people toward what we have to say. And and here's good preaching, or at least relevant preaching, or at least preaching that if I have to go to sleep, it's not too loud and I can get a good rest. You know, that kind of thing. That's part of the model. And a lot of churches doing the attractional model of church use drama, and they have like things that resonate with you by by presenting what we might think of as skits that, that kind of connect with you. And, and some of them have coffee. We have coffee in the lobby. Some of them even have donuts, you know. And, and, and the thinking is, we'll do whatever we need to to attract you to the message of Jesus Christ because we want you to encounter the person of Jesus Christ. And I love everything about that. I have loved that model since my early days in ministry. It's just a beautiful thing to use every resource you have to attract people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the person of Jesus Christ. But one of the challenges that that model faces is summed up in a few questions that you might ask yourself. How do we move people we have attracted from being consumers to actually becoming contributors in the kingdom? 
Notice I didn't say contributors to the kingdom. We're not talking about getting their money or getting their resources. No, 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 no. We want them to be part of the kingdom and we want them to contribute within it just like all of us are. And the attractional model says, I'm not really sure how to do that. And we need to think beyond that attractional model. How do we move people from being consumers to being contributors? And how do we help people move from being seekers to actually becoming followers? How do we help one another move from having been desperately lost and clueless about who Jesus is and just kind of confused about why do people love this Jesus guy to understanding how Jesus loves us and desiring to share that love with other people? How do we do that? You know that this week I was at this exponential conference, and Exponential is a gathering of church planters. It's a lot of church planters. The attendance there was 5,300. I'm sure not all of them were church planters, but I I would say thousands of them, two or three thousand of them at least, were church planters. They got to hear great speakers. But the event itself is $99, and you can bring your wife. How cool is that? That's so cheap for a four-day seminar, three-day seminar. Wow. And they got to hear great speakers. Ed Stetzer, I've read his blog for years. I never knew he had such a cool beard. He has a beard like mine, but it like goes down to here, and his is still red. That's pretty cool, right? And, and Francis Chan was there. Francis Chan was there! You know, I don't know if you know Francis Chan, but that wasn't a bad impersonation of Francis Chan. And Craig Groeschel, one of my favorite preachers, he was on the stage. I thought, how cool is that? How cool is that that these young men and women get to hear about that, get to hear those speakers, and get charged up with that kind of thing? I want to tonight, I said this before, at about 6 o'clock tonight, we're going to meet here at church. I just want to share with you some of the things that, that I learned there at the conference. But today I'm not doing that. Today I want to speak to you about these basic keys on how to grow and develop, spiritually speaking, And all of us need to do this. Whether you've been a Christian for five days or five decades, all of us need to evaluate these keys and implement them in our life. And we need to do it personally. I'll never forget in my first church, there was a young man who started attending with his family. And he was real high on making money. I mean, he was reading all the success books that there were. And he was going to be a millionaire by the time he was 30. That was his goal. And he said to me one time, he said, you know what I wish? This whole spiritual thing, this whole God thing, I wish I could just pay someone like you to do this for me. And I said, to to do what for you? He said, you know, the God stuff. I wish I was rich enough that I could pay someone like you to keep me close to God. And I said, that is not how it works. That is not how it works. You can't pay someone to keep you close to God. And the best church in the world can't keep you close to God. It is your responsibility to walk near Jesus. And it is your responsibility to evaluate things like these five keys and to implement them by the power of God within you so that you grow to be who he wants you to be. The first key is kind of a no-brainer to me. It's to study God's Word. You know, if you have your Bibles, can I ask you to open them to James chapter 1? 
James chapter 1. We're gonna, I'm actually going to ask you to open your Bibles to two different passages. If you don't have your own Bible, there should be a Bible in a pew, and you're going to find us on page 1198. Page 1198. James chapter 1. How about 1196? That sounds better. Page 1196, James chapter 1. I want to talk to you about this concept of studying God's Word and, and knowing God's Word. You know, if you were thinking about how can I get some tech news, one of the places you wouldn't go would be to the USA Today. Because while they have a technical section, it's nothing compared to the technical journals that you can read. Or if you were looking for some investment news and you were trying to think, I need some investment guidance, you wouldn't go to People Magazine for that. Because People Magazine doesn't specialize in that. I'm not sure what they specialize in that. But I know it's not investment news. You would probably go to the Wall Street Journal or Forbes or something like that. And if you went into your doctor and, and you said to your doctor, I have this condition, what do you think of this? And he said to you, you know, I was just reading about this in the Clearfield Progress, and I think I know how to treat this. As good as the progress is, you don't want your doctor to be getting data about medicine practice out of a, out of a newspaper like that. And that's the way it is with your spiritual life. The place to go for your spiritual development and your spiritual food is the Word of God. And the way that you need to read the Word of God is with the intention of grasping what it has to say to you. The Apostle Paul is writing in the book of Timothy, and he's speaking there um, in 2 Timothy to this young Christian man, this young church planter, this young guy who wants to make a difference where he is. And the Apostle Paul says to him, if you really want to grow spiritually, then you need to do your best. The King James used to say, study to show yourself approved. A workman who doesn't need to be ashamed because you can rightly handle the word of truth. You know what it means. You grasp it. You understand it. And you can care for it and explain it to other people. That's not just for pastors to understand the word of truth. In fact... <laughs> in fact, Greg Packiam in Secondhand Jesus explains how incredibly dangerous it is for you to trust another guy or girl to be your spiritual go-to man. That you yourself need to be looking to God and asking Him from His Word how to grow and what He expects. And that will take study. There's no way around that. I can remember in my first church one time there was a young woman and she was having trouble understanding God's grace. She was having trouble putting up with her husband. She was having trouble putting up with her children. She was having trouble putting up with some people in her neighborhood. And she was having trouble putting up with people in the church. And as we spoke about this anger she had and this lack of grace in her life, I began to realize she doesn't know the grace of God in her life. She's never really seen that God loves her. Somehow she got in her mind the idea that God had a report card, that he was keeping a scorecard on her, so to speak, and if she measured up, then he would like her, but until then, he didn't. That is not what the Bible says at all. You know that, right? The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And the very next verse says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. It's not here to condemn the world, but that all the world will be saved through him. And so I'm talking to this young woman in my church, and, and I said to her, this is Sunday morning after the service, I said, listen, I have an, an idea, I have this book. 
I, it's brand new. It tells you how old this story is. It's by Max Lucado. I think it might be his second book, Six Hours, One Friday. Max Lucado's probably written 15 or 20 books since then. I said, you should read this book, Six Hours, One Friday. Read it deeply. Allow it to permeate into you and see what difference it makes. Well, that was at about 12.15 on Sunday afternoon, and she came in for the evening service at 7 o'clock, threw the book down on my desk and said, that didn't help at all. Okay, here's the deal. (laughs) That wasn't the kind of book that you read like the sporting news. It was the kind of book that dealt with biblical passages that you need to allow to soak into your soul. This kind of book is that way even more so. Do your best, the Scripture says on the screen, to present yourself to God as an approved worker who doesn't need to be ashamed correctly handling this book because you've taken time with it and worked to intentionally learn from it. But even more deeply, you read it with an eye toward change, with a heart that wants to change. You know that the enemies of Jesus knew the Scripture very well. They could quote large portions of it, and they had memorized it, they had exposed themselves to it more than most of us here would ever dream to do. And yet, when God shows up in the flesh, they hate Him. They missed something. And part of the reason for that is because they read the Bible, they read the Scriptures with an eye toward power and knowledge rather than an eye toward what can this book do to my heart. James talks about that in the passage you're open to. Look at verse 22 of James chapter 1, and you see a warning that he gives. He says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone looking at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Wow, verse 25 has a three-point sermon in it. Did you see it? Three things to do. Number one, look into the Word of God. Number two, continue in the Word of God. And number three, do the Word of God. You know what we call people who look into the Word of God, talk about how good it is, talk about how important God is and how important following God is, but don't do that stuff. You know the word for that, right? It's hypocrisy. And none of us want to be that way. We want to allow God to change us. You know, I I thought about this concept of pretending to be something you aren't before the Word of God when my friend Rob was telling a story of flying. He flies a lot and he was flying and and uh, something happened that there weren't enough seats for him, so they let him sit in first class. <laughs> How cool is that? I would like that to happen every time I fly. Wow. And so there he was in first class. He's beside this gentleman who happens, <coughs> who happens to be a very bigwig in the Caterpillar company. All over the world, this gentleman manages branches all over the world. Caterpillar is land mining equipment, you know. And, uh, and he's sitting there talking to him. When he gets out, the guy says, are you coming to the VIP lounge? And my buddy Rob's like, yeah, I'm going to the VIP lounge. And so he went ahead and he went into to go to the VIP lounge. And, and the first guy, he showed his credentials and walked right in. And, and Rob showed his boarding pass and he said, no, no. 
No, you're not a member of the VIP lounge. And Rob says, yeah, but I was sitting in first class. Yeah, but you're not a member of the VIP lounge. You're not a first class flyer. You can't come in. And as Rob was telling us that story, I thought, you know, there's a lot of people that are that way spiritually speaking. They're sitting in the right seat, the right pew. They're, they're in the right church. They're hearing the right message. They have the right book. They're being exposed to the right truth. But that doesn't really, it hasn't changed who they are. And so they really haven't applied it to their heart. They're hearers of the word. But they're not doers of the word. If they have never really encountered Jesus, if, if one has never really recognized that, yes, I have offended a holy God with my sin, but Jesus came to die for that sin. And when I turn away from that sin, desiring to no longer walk in it and trust that his death pays a penalty for that sin, then I can be forgiven and have eternal life. If they've never really come to the point where that's making sense to them, then it just serves to follow that they're going to stand at a door one time to a VIP lounge and they're going to hear a voice that says, depart from me, I never knew you. I hate that. I hate that. You understand, a big key to spiritual growth is to get a hold of what God's Word is saying about you and apply that to your life so that you are transformed through the saving work of Christ on the cross and a regenerating energy of His Spirit to make you into someone different than you were. So when you stand before the gates of heaven, you hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. A key to spiritual growth is knowing what the Bible says and applying it. Let me give you a second key to spiritual growth. And let me again ask you to turn in your Bibles, this time to Acts chapter 4. <coughs> Acts chapter 4. I usually don't have you jumping around this way, but I'd like you to be on page 1080, 1081 in a pew Bible if you could. Acts chapter 4. It's interesting to me how every generation compares itself to the other generations. We are human beings, our comparers. And so you compare yourself to the previous generation and say, yeah, I'm not as this as they are, so I'm better there. And then when the next generation comes along, don't worry, you're going to compare yourself to them too. And, and we're just a people of comparison. Sometimes when I compare our generation to those who have already passed away, to the previous generation that I only remember as I was a child, one of the things I notice about the Christians of previous generations is that they had a commitment to prayer that my generation knows nothing about. Wow. That's really convicting to me. I can remember being a little boy and sitting in, in Wednesday night prayer meeting, eating Cheerios and Lifesavers to keep quiet, while 30 or 40 people sat on wooden pews, some of them in their 60s and 70s, and turned around and kneeled at those pews and prayed for 30 or 40 minutes, all of them out loud at the same time. It has kind of a weird sound, but once you get used to it, it has kind of a, a comforting sound. I look back at that and I think, wow, those people knew how to pray. I'm not sure my generation gets that. The Bible teaches us that we should pray. Pray without ceasing. The, the passage in Thessalonians actually says, rejoice always, pray continually. That's the without ceasing part. Give thanks in all circumstances. By the way, it's not Paul that wants you to do this. This is God that wants you to do this, he says. It's God's will for you in Christ Jesus to be 
a person of prayer. And what that means is, you know, when you're driving, pray. When you're flying, pray. When you're sitting in a conference, pray. When you're having trouble paying attention to an old dried up sermon, pray. When you're in the shower, pray. When you're with your buddies, pray. When you're going hunting together, pray. When you're going fishing with a friend, pray. When you're taking your kid and dropping them off at school, pray with them. When you're sitting down with friends and one of them mentions that a friend has cancer, let's stop right now and pray about that. Can we do that? Pray. Pray continually. And by the way, the the Word of God instructs us to pray with one another. To pray together with one another. And this whole together thing is so vital to being a Christian. You know that the, the Word of God compares us to sheep. We're lambs, you know, and Jesus warns that sometimes wolves come in among the sheep and, and that's a dangerous thing. If you've ever watched Animal Planet, which I've watched a lot of Animal Planet, and before that, oh wow, what was that show that was on Discovery Channel that was all about animals killing each other? Do you remember that? I used to watch that a lot, you know. It's, Jaws, was that the name of it? I can't remember. My wife's looking like, you watched that? Yes. When you were not around, I was watching that. Yeah. One of the things you notice about predatory animals is when they see a flock of animals, if they be sheep, that's good. One of the things they always do is they go in and they find someone to single out. They try to pull him away from the other sheep. They try to distract him and get him out of the other sheep so that he becomes more vulnerable. And I want to tell you that our enemy, that Satan does the very same thing with us. He wants to single you out and get you away. And what a contrast you see when you look at the passage in Acts that when these men and women in the early church were under the gun, under attack, they went together. And when they were together, they prayed. I mean, take a look at Acts chapter 4, verse 23. A little backstory is Peter and John have been in prison. They were in prison because they were talking about Jesus. They were warned, do not talk about Jesus anymore. And after they get their warning and they're released, we pick up in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all (coughs) that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Okay, here's the prayer. And I love it that Luke took the time to write the prayer down for us. You know that he did that so that we could understand uh, how to pray ourselves in such cases. Verse 24 in the middle. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by your Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. Okay, here's what he's saying here. He's saying, God, what's happened here is what you predicted a thousand years ago. Listen to it. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed... Okay, verse 27 is saying, indeed, this is what happened. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. That's their prayer. Make us effective for the sake of the kingdom. We want to be effective for your sake, Jesus. And the very next verse tells the outcome of that. After they prayed, 
The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. I want you to think with me for a minute. Who are these guys? These are guys, most of which, have walked with Jesus for three years in a row. They saw him heal people. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him confound his opponents. But more than that, they saw him die on a cross. They saw him laid in a tomb. And they saw him get out of the tomb. And they saw him there with them, alive and well after he had been dead. One of them even put his finger into the hole in his hand where the nail had been and his whole hand into his side, knowing that Jesus indeed had been risen from the dead. If guys who have had that kind of encounter with the resurrected Christ need to stop for a minute and pray together in order that their lives can make a difference for Jesus, I think maybe I need to. I think maybe you need to. I think maybe we need to. Praying is a key to your spiritual growth. Do it alone. Do it with your family. Do it with your friends. Do it in small groups. Do it. The third key to your spiritual growth is fellowship. Fellowship. You see the first Christians doing this right away. In Acts chapter 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, they say that you can tell a lot about the health of a church by what happens when the benediction is pronounced. And here's what they say. They say if when a benediction is pronounced, everybody makes a beeline for the door, there might be a problem with the fellowship that exists in that church. Whereas on the other hand, if when the benediction is pronounced, there are people lingering and talking together, that may be a sign of a healthy fellowship in that church. You know, I look back sometimes, and I can remember when I came to Kerwinsville, most of the people streamed out of here after the benediction like the kids at 2.20 p.m. leaving school. Man, out to the bus and out of here. And I can remember Laurel and I, as we were brand new here, we even said, wow, these people are anxious to get home. I wonder what's going on here, you know? Yeah. I contrast that with today, and I see that today, often Laurel and I just close the doors and leave because there's still people in here gabbing. Amen. Amen. Keep it up. Keep it up. Because that's a sign that your fellowship is healthy, that you enjoy being together, that you like one another. And that's a good thing to be in that position. A lot of people, when you say fellowship, they say, oh yeah, church dinners. I know what that is. I don't go to those because one time I got food poisoning at one of those. I did get food poisoning at a church dinner one time. That's a whole different sermon. (laughs) But fellowship is so much more than church dinners. It's really essential, an essential part of your church (coughs) of your church life. Fellowship includes eating together. So yesterday morning, there were about a dozen of us gathered together. Lloyd did the cooking, and we did the fellowshipping. We had a meal together, a bunch of men here at church. That's great. It it involves playing together. So when a bunch of us are out there shooting shotguns at Pleasant View Pheasants, Friars Farm, we're fellowshipping. We're fellowshipping. And on Nerf night, Eric is having some of the best fellowship with a bunch of 5th to 8th grade, graders that you could possibly imagine. Playing together is fellowship. Studying together is fellowship. So when you're in a small group on a Wednesday night and you're studying how to be a woman of strength, you're fellowshipping because you're interacting with one another as you interact with the Word. Talking together. 
Just Tuesday evenings when you come for the marriage thing and we watch Emerson Emerich talk about marriage and then we talk about our own marriages and how that's fellowship that's happening there. Working together. I have this thing that I say, I say it over and over again. Never do a ministry alone that you can do with someone else. Why? Because that's fellowship. That's a healthy thing for you. It's an essential part of church life. In fact, I heard this at Exponential. It might be the best thing I heard. Listen to this. Jesus is so committed to his followers doing things together that when he wants a donkey, he sends two of them to get it. I love that. It's true. Fellowship. It's key to your growth. A fourth key to your spiritual growth is sharing your faith. Telling other people about Jesus. Most of us are familiar with the text that's on the screen there, at least somewhat familiar. And if you're Alliance, you become very familiar with it because the Christian and Missionary Alliance has kind of taken this as their theme verse. Listen as I read it. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, growing up, I thought that's what missionaries did. I thought that verse was entirely about missions because it says to go, and that's what missionaries do. They go to foreign countries. And it says all nations, so that means other nations besides my nation, right? But hear this. The command is not go. The command is make disciples. In fact, if you were reading this in the Greek, which I wouldn't expect you to do. If you do, there's something wrong with you, I think. But anyway, if you happen to be reading this in the Greek, it it, it reads more like this. As you're going along your way, make disciples. And suddenly, when you get that kind of paradigm shift from go to as you're going you suddenly begin to realize this doesn't just happen globally. It happens locally and globally. And it happens at school. And it happens when I'm on vacation. It happens around my dinner table. And it happens at bedtime. It happens when I go to a conference. It happens wherever I am. Discipleship is supposed to happen wherever I am. So it's just a regular kind of thing to share your faith. And so this applies to all of us. You know, as soon as someone starts talking about sharing your faith, there's always people who kind of go like, I don't want to have to share my faith. can't believe the preacher's talking about sharing my faith because I tried that one time and I got a pan of water in the face. I'm not going to be sharing my faith. I wonder what this says over here. I'm going to read my bulletin. <laughs> Let me just help you relax a minute, okay? Let me just help you relax. <laughs> I don't think that I have the gift of evangelism. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that if I begin talking about Jesus, about God, within 30 seconds, I'll know whether to continue. And if I can bear that 30 seconds of exploration, then there's no further pain, really. Here's what I'm saying. You're sitting in the break room with somebody, and you say, you know, yesterday at church we had such a great time. I love the things I learned about Jesus at my church. And the person that you send that to is going to react probably in one of two ways. Did you see the penguins last night? Okay, now if they react that way, stop. Talk about the penguins. We love the penguins. Okay? Be their friend. Even if they want to talk about the devils. That was for you, Andy. Yeah. 
He's a New Jersey Devils fan. How does that happen? Even if they want to talk about a team you don't like, talk about the team they don't like. Don't come back to Jesus for a long time. Because it's as, as painful as it is for you, it's painful for them if you pursue that. You understand? And it's counterproductive. But on the other hand, when you say that, hey, man, at my church yesterday, I, it was, we had a great time. I love my church. I learned so much about Jesus at my church. And they say, really? I wish I could find a church like that. Wow, now the two of you, you're going to be like two horses in a meadow of grass, and you're just going to relax and chew on your lunch while you're talking together, you know, about Jesus. It's going to be a relaxed pastoral, not like pastor, but a relaxed uh, country, country setting where you can enjoy the beauty of talking about Christ. Here's something interesting. There's two benefits to doing this. First, the kingdom of God is benefited. Because when you begin to talk about Jesus and you tell your story, and that's really all you have to tell, you don't have to use the Romans Road, you don't have to use four spiritual laws, you don't have to use evangelism explosion outline. I love all those things, and I embrace them all. Bridge illustration, I embrace them all. But here, let me just make it easy for you. Tell your story. You know, here's what God did for me. You know, I, I didn't think too much about Jesus for a long time in my life. And one day, my aunt got cancer. It really made me think. And then I was talking to to her husband, how is he handling this? And he talked to me about, about God's love. And I realized I need to open my heart to that. That's what I did. You ever experienced anything like that? You see, you're on your way. You understand? Just tell your story. Make it easy. And two things happen. One thing that can happen out of that is that person can say, I need what you have. Help me get that. And then you can just have them talk to God. But the other thing that happens out of that, which is kind of a side benefit, is you grow. You begin to flourish. It's like when you have the guts to do that, God gives you a vitamin D shot right where you need it. Is that the vitamin you need that kind of perks you up, or is it B? And he's giving you the whole lotman. He gives you the whole alphabet. You know, it's, He just gives you what you need when you do that. I can't explain it. It's an odd phenomenon. But studying God's Word, praying, fellowship, and sharing your faith are all vital keys to growth. Here's the fifth key. The fifth key really encompasses all the others. Obey God. Just obey Him. Sometimes I'll be talking to someone about their walk with God, and they'll say to me something like this, Pastor Steve, I just don't feel like God is real to me. And I hear other people talk about their walk with God, and it's like He shows up for them, and He never shows up for me. And I I don't feel, I wish God would speak to me like he's speaking to others. Why doesn't he show himself to me? And sometimes the answer to that question is a really hard answer. But sometimes the answer to that question is found in the verse that's on the screen. Take a look at the verse. Whoever has my commands and obeys them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him. And look at those next four words. Show myself to them. Isn't that interesting? And so what I hear Jesus saying there is that that God is nearest to those who draw near to Him. That when you obey Him and when you begin to take baby steps toward Jesus, He takes giant strides toward you. And He walks toward you and He walks with you. So if in your walk with God you wish to grow, 
you're going to probably have to change some of your outlook in life. You're actually going to have to change some of your vocabulary. You'll probably have to, to eliminate phrases like this. Well, God, I would do that, but... You're going to have to get rid of that. And, and, and God, God, I know that that's what your word says, but my situation is different. You're just going to have to stop that. And, and, and things like, well, I would really like to do that except for... Mm-mm. No except for. And this one, this is the one that always slays me. I already tried that and it didn't work. Mm-mm. Obey. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Wow. You know, uh, that's how you answer these questions. How do I move from being a church consumer to being a Christ-like contributor? How do I move from being someone who's seeking Jesus to someone who's sharing Jesus? How do I move from wanting to become found (laughs) to helping others find Jesus? Well, the answer is these keys and probably a lot more. Begin to study God's Word. Spend some serious time in prayer. Engage in fellowship that is second-level fellowship beyond the curtain. Real fellowship. Share your faith with others. And simply obey God. What I'd like to do, I'd like us to just pray that God would empower us and enable us to do that as the musicians come.